some thought she was Mrs. Satan and considered her a champion of women's and children's rights. She rode motorcycles. She also felt that she had an ancient Greek spirit guide. And that's just a small part of the Victoria Woodhull story. What do three former car hops have in common? We, we all want a woman president. president. I'm Paula. I'm Kathy. I'm Augie. Did you know there have been 59 presidential elections and 46 presidents? 137 women have run. 66 got their party nomination and represented their party on the U.S. presidential ballot. And zero have been elected. Some have predicted it will be another 240 years before we see a woman president of the United States. Let's see if we can shorten that by, say, what, 234 years? This episode is about Victoria Woodhull, stockbroker, newspaper editor, women's rights advocate, presidential candidate. Victoria Woodhull was born Victoria, California, Claffin on September 23rd, 1838 in Homer, Ohio. Her mother was Madame Roxanna Roxy Hummel Claffin, and her father was Reuben Buck Buckman Claffin Esquire. Victoria was the seventh of 10 children and she had a rocky childhood. By the age of 11, Woodhull had only three years of formal education, but her teachers thought she was very intelligent. About that time, along with her family, she was forced to leave school and home due to some shady dealings by her father. The town held a benefit to raise funds to help ensure the family's departure from Ohio. She married the first time on November 20th, 1853, two months past her 15th birthday. Her husband was 28. That marriage didn't last much past the birth of her second child. When she divorced, she kept the children and her married name. Victoria became a women's rights activist and also promoted labor reforms. Since the end of her first marriage, she had been working outside of the home to support her family, which may have influenced her belief systems. Wedhall's political platform of free love probably stemmed from the discovery of her first husband cheating and his other notorious behaviors. At that time, divorce was limited by law and most certainly considered socially scandalous. Women who divorced were stigmatized and often ostracized by society. Victoria Woodhull concluded and asserted that women should have the choice to leave unbearable marriages, hence the term free love. Then, around 1866, at the age 28, Victoria married her second husband, who was also marrying for the second time. Woodhull believed in monogamous relationships, although she also said she had the right to change her mind. The choice to have sex or not was, in every case, the woman's choice, since this would place her in an equal status to men who had the capacity to rape and physically overcome a woman whereas a woman did not have that capacity with respect to a man. Victoria experienced a lot of turmoil throughout her life and twice went from rags to riches. Her first fortune was a result of using her abilities as a magnetic healer, and the second time from her business on Wall Street. After she relocated to New York City, 
Victoria and her sister, Tennessee Celeste Claffin, befriended railroad magnate Cornelius Vanderbilt. With his help and with the money they earned helping him communicate with the spirit world, the sisters became the first women to open a successful Wall Street brokerage house. Thus, they also became the first female stockbrokers. This earned them many nicknames, including the Bewitching Brokers. Woodhull made a fortune on the New York Stock Exchange by advising clients like Vanderbilt. On one occasion, Victoria told Vanderbilt to sell his shares short for 150 cents per stock, which he duly followed and earned millions on the deal. And from there on out, they were fast friends. Woo, woo. <laughs> who would it be? Yeah, yeah no kidding, can. right? That's what it takes. Woodhull and Claffin used the money that they had made from their brokerage firm to found a newspaper, Woodhull and Claflin Weekly. Always planning ahead, Victoria's primary purpose of the newspaper was to support her run for president. And some say to promote edgy ideas like short skirts and vegetarianism. Short skirts meaning the hymns didn't brush the ground and therefore did not collect mud or other undesirable substances that one would not like on their clothing. <laughs> it took a woman to, to think of that simple thing. To not have that made everybody stuff happy. on their ground. Yeah. Yes. The paper began publication on May 14, 1870, two years prior and four years after the 1872 presidential election. Victoria was the first woman to address a congressional committee. In 1871, much to the chagrin of the suffrage leaders, she used her political savvy to arrange an opportunity to testify on women's suffrage before the House Judiciary Committee, asserting her position that the 14th and the 15th Amendment already gave women the right to vote. In 1872, she ran for president. She was the 1872 presidential candidate for the Equal Rights Party, supporting women's suffrage and equal rights. Her platform also included free love and the quest for shorter skirts. <laughs> right on. While many agree that Woodhull was the first woman to run for the presidency, some disagree with classifying it as a true candidacy just because she was a bit younger than the constitutionally mandated age of 35. Nonetheless, the newspapers carried the story as if her age didn't matter. And maybe to them, the validity of her candidacy didn't matter since she had no chance of being a contender. Victoria decried the hypocrisy that permitted powerful men to be sexually free but denied such freedom to women. And her paper ran a story with salacious details exposing a prominent preacher who was having a scandalous affair with a married parishioner, all the while condemning free love from the pulpit. A few days before the presidential election, U.S. federal marshals arrested Woodhull on charges of publishing an obscene newspaper, and she was held for a month. The arrest was arranged by Anthony Comstock, the self-appointed moral defender of the nation at the time. It was this arrest and Victoria's acquittal that propelled him to petition Congress to pass the 1873 Comstock laws, the obscenity laws that among many things prevented the distribution of sex education and information about birth control. 
Parts of these laws are still on the books in some states, although most of them have been struck down by the Supreme Court. Unbelievable. Yeah. We'll do a bonus episode on the Comstock Act of 1873 in the future. Victoria and her second husband divorced in 1876. Following the death of Cornelius Vanderbilt in 1877, a Vanderbilt family member paid Victoria and her sister $1,000, which has been labeled an inheritance from Cornelius, or possibly a payoff, to prevent them from attending the distribution of the estate. In either event, the sisters accepted the money, more than $25,000 in 2021 dollars, and moved out of the country. Victoria moved with her sister, Tennessee, and daughter Zula to Great Britain in August 1877, where she met her third and last husband and continued her work lecturing and publishing. Widowed in 1901, she retired to the countryside, where along with her sister and daughter, she built a village school that included a kindergarten. Recent research has shown Woodhull to have been a far more significant presence in the socialist movement than previous historians had thought, while at the same time professing beliefs such as eugenics principles, ableism, classism, and nationalism that are totally unacceptable in today's world. Even so, she had a major impact with her push for equal rights. And by equal rights, that probably meant equal rights for white women. In spite of all her flaws, she was the first woman to own a stock brokerage firm, the first woman stockbroker, the first woman to appear in front of congressional committees, and the first woman to run for president, even if she didn't meet the qualifications. Victoria Woodhull died on June 9, 1927 at age 88 in a small village at the southern edge of Worcestershire in England. And that concludes today's episode. We'd like to convey our immense gratitude and respect for the many women who have run for president. And to all the women, past, present, and emerging, who bring us closer to cracking the patriarchal system, we say thank you. We love to hear from you. You can join the growing group of A Woman President fans and let the Carhops know what's going on in your mind regarding the courageous women presented in this podcast. For comments, questions, show notes, and resources, or to just join our email list, visit our website, awomanpresident.com. We won't sell your information, and we only occasionally send out short and sweet updates. Thanks for listening, and thank you for recommending the podcast to your friends. Remember, you too can be a super spreader for our podcast. <laughs> This episode has been brought to you by Carhop Productions and edited by Paula McCollett. So until the next installment, our hope is that you will be inspired, be involved, be heard, and be kind. Ta-ta for now, the Carhops.